turn to Acts chapter 23. And I want us to uh, delve into, I kind of teased it out at the beginning, but I want us to delve into this idea of suffering. Suffering. And uh, I think a lot of times we love to pair suffering and the gospel together. And I think that's a right thing. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, that they go hand in hand together, a life with Jesus and a life of commitment to like things not always going our way. Sometimes we're going to have to suffer as Jesus followers. But then as I thought about it this week, I don't think we're removed from at all if we choose to not follow Jesus. Like lives in humanity, in the fallen world, in the brokenness, if you've lived for two minutes, you know that life is just uh, in suffering. They go together. There's hard things, whether you have committed yourself in uh, fidelity and commitment to Jesus or not. It's just suffering. Things are hard. But I think a lot of times, uh, as Jesus follows, we choose to sacrifice, we choose to give up, we choose, and there's some uh, suffering. I was reading this week uh, in preparation and commentary, one of my favorite commentary sets uh, that I have, and it was from the one, obviously, in the book of Acts. And here's what it says. The Quaker philosopher, Elton Trueblood, writes, in many areas of the gospel, instead of taking away people's burdens and suffering, <clears throat> it actually adds to them. He cites John Woolman, a successful Quaker merchant who lived a comfortable life until God convicted them, him of the offense of slavery. Woolman gave up his prosperous business, used his money that he had left to purchase a bunch of slaves' freedom. He wore undyed suits to avoid using dye produced by slave labor. He traveled on foot in solidarity with slaves who were not permitted to ride in carriages. He refused to eat sugar, rum, molasses, and other products tainted by slave labor. Largely because of this quiet revolutionary, by 1787, not a single Quaker owned a slave. True Blood writes, Occasionally, we talk of how our Christianity is something that solves problems, and there is a sense in which it does. Long before it does so, however, it increases both the number and intensity of the problems. Even our intellectual questions are increased by the acceptance of a strong religious faith in Jesus. If a man wishes to... Uh, avoid disturbing effects of paradoxes. The best advice is for him to leave the Christian faith alone. When Jesus calls a man, uh, Bonhoeffer says, he bids him come and die. There is some hard stuff that's associated with a life of following Jesus. Uh, I was reading a book this week um, by a guy named Matt Chandler. Um, Matt Chandler, pastors in Texas, uh, and he wrote a book that just was a compilation of people in his church that have endured suffering and been faithful through the process. Matt himself uh, on Thanksgiving morning uh, woke up, was holding his baby, and then had uh, a giant seizure, had just handed off his baby, falls on the ground, and it was discovered that he had a giant brain tumor. Um, that he under, had to undergo like months and months uh, of surgery and treatment and all this stuff. Uh, and he writes this, the Bible isn't full of clean and happy living. And you could argue that it's a book uh, more full of tears than smiles. It's full of God working for the good of his people in the mess brought about by sin and death. God is with, with his people through suffering and through difficulty so that, he comes, so that they come, he comes out on the other side as a picture of grace and glory. And he uses them in their pain and changes the world through the results of their trials. So 
suffering is something that is not foreign to any of us. And I think sometimes there's a special level of suffering when we are being faithful to God because uh, the world is against us and the enemy is against us and sometimes our flesh is against us. We're constantly coming against things that are against us and we just have to endure. And I think uh, today I don't want to dive into the reasons that we suffer. I think there's a different time and a different place given what our text is uh, for this morning. Um, I don't want to dive in, but just real quickly, and this probably isn't all of it, but why, why is there suffering? Well, I think one of the reasons is the effects of sin. Sin taints and ruins God's perfect world and perfect order. So when there is sin, uh, there is suffering. And it could be the effects of like personal sin that brings suffering in your life. Let's say uh, you're unfaithful to your spouse. There's going to be suffering that is a result. And so it could be that it's suffering from the result of your sin. Or it could be uh, suffering uh, from the effects of someone else's sin. But those are the effects of sin. Uh, We experience suffering because of the already but not yet of God's restoration. That we can have freedom and hope fully, freely, and forever because of the hope of Jesus. So we have that now. We have salvation. But then we also longingly wait for the not yet of a restored world. That one day God's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth and things aren't that way right now. But I think there's something that can happen through suffering. We've talked about it all throughout the book of Acts. I think uh, suffering can develop maturity inside of us. Scripture's super clear about this, that when we engage in suffering, when we endure suffering, when we lean into suffering and go, this is really hard, but God, I'm counting on you, there is a certain level of spiritual maturity that's developed inside of us, which is the goal of our whole life. That's the goal of sanctification, that we're developing to look more like Jesus, to represent Jesus more fully, to have uh, God's image in us restored more fully for a hurting and broken world. So when we, when we engage in suffering, uh, there's the development of that maturity. The second thing is uh, it can develop a deeper devotion to God. When you lean into suffering and go, this is really hard, but God is all that I have. There is nothing sweeter that can be grown out of that time. And, and lastly, Uh, suffering can uh, increase our public witness. Like I said, suffering is not unique to the Christian faith. Everybody suffers. Everybody experiences death. Everybody experiences hardship. And if someone tells you they don't, they're lying through their teeth. It's just not the case. Suffering is not unique to us, but the way that we as Jesus followers have, display, and exhibit hope is unique. When someone is enduring something hard and they're like, it's, it's, it's really hard, but God is good. This breaks our brains. It doesn't make sense to us. But what a witness for people who are enduring suffering. What a witness to go, what is that? What is that that you're able to go through hardship? You're able to go through hard times and still come out on the other side joyful and with peace? I don't understand. What is that about? So suffering, uh, suffering can increase our, uh, our, our public witness. So with all of this in mind, uh, we're going to pick up in the last verse or two of, um, 
of chapter 22 into verse 23. And I want to set it up and then I want to talk about uh, what Paul exemplifies for us in light of suffering. Because if we're going to have to suffer as Jesus followers, if it's something that we're not going to be taken out of for whatever reason, I think it behooves us to lean into what does it mean to suffer well. If, if suffering is a non-negotiable of the brokenness of the world, if suffering and hardship and pain and turmoil is something that you're like, uh, we're never going to get past this on this side of eternity, what does it look like for us, us as Jesus followers in, in Vermilion County in 2023 to suffer well? I think Paul gives us um, <coughs> an example of that. And so uh, last week we talked about testimonies. Paul gives his testimony. Uh, we heard from Brian and Ari last week, which I'm really, really grateful for. Um, and he's still, in Acts 23, Paul is still under trial. So he's passed off from government group to government group, and then uh, the government's like, he hasn't done anything wrong. They're like, he broke our religious laws, and they're like, we don't have anything to do with your religious laws. And then, so they toss him over to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin uh, represents this like tribunal council of Israelites set up to enforce doctrine and holy living and all this sort of stuff. And so Paul is before the Sanhedrin, on trial for things he has said and things he has done. <clears throat> and, and we get this encounter where they're just like, it, it reminds us of, um, uh, of the encounter that Jesus had with the Sanhedrin. And I don't, I'm not equating Paul and Jesus by any means, but like there's no answer that Paul is going to give them that's going to satisfy them. Their, clear, their theology, their doctrine, everything is against them uh, that Paul is teaching. He's saying Jesus is the Messiah, and he's been raised from the dead, and they're like, we don't want to have anything to do with that. We don't want to hear you. And so they're constantly just pushing and pushing and pushing back against him, and they're constantly oppressing him, and, and he's enduring suffering. He talks about this in several of his letters to the churches, that like he endured chains, he endured suffering uh, for the name of Jesus. And so we get this encounter where Paul is in chains, and uh, verse 2 says he's, he's talking, just doing normal stuff, and they smack him in the mouth. They smack him in the mouth because of the things that he's saying. So Paul is going through it here. So what does he point to for us to suffer well? <clears throat> thing number one, for us to suffer well. Now, before I say thing number one, two, and three, I don't think this is like, I think there's probably lots of other ways that we can suffer well. I think there's an element of like, Paul doesn't talk about living in community here. I think there's lots of ways that we can talk about. But from Acts 23, what can we learn from suffering well? And here's the few things that stood out to me. If we are to suffer well, during the suffering, we need to maintain our integrity and our kindness our public witness. If we are to suffer well, we need to uh, maintain our integrity and our kindness. Here's what happens, okay? <clears throat> they slap him in the mouth, and, and Paul, um, <coughs> excuse me, Paul says in, uh, Paul insults the guy, they think. And then in verse five, uh, or in verse four, they're like, how dare you insult the high priest? Uh, and then Paul says in verse five, Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Paul is quick in this moment to, 
to kind of walk back some of his statements that seem intense at first uh, in an effort to show honor to someone. In an effort to show honor to someone. Now, Paul is living under the lordship of Jesus in this moment, okay? The Sanhedrin is something that is for the Jewish people. Like, it's their own thing. And Paul is saying, I'm choosing to follow the way of Jesus. So in theory, Paul doesn't need to submit to this leadership. He could tell them off. He could, like, they smacked him in the mouth. They've got him in chains. They've, they've bound him. He's under arrest. He's just like, he's held captive there. Uh, we're getting ready to see at the end of chapter 23, uh, there's like a plot on his head. They're out for his life. He doesn't have to respond with kindness, but yet he does as a testimony to who God is. He's, he apologizes, and he does it really, really quickly. And as we endure suffering, I find that it is very easy for us to uh, let bitterness seep down deep into our hearts. And then the thing that comes out as the testimony of our life is then again bitterness. That, that we have in the good moments allowed the gospel to affect us, but in the moments of suffering, we choose to live by our old flesh. That when things get hard, we, we choose to be bitter and to, to spout off at people, and we choose to, to, to call people names and act angrily. Our actions and our attitude and our words in the moments where we are suffering, and you can fill in the blank, I bet when I say suffering for you, if I looked around at this room, there would probably be this many different answers for what suffering has or does look like in your life. But in the midst of suffering, our attitude, our actions, and our words have an opportunity to point to the goodness and the power and the majesty of who God is to us. Jesus talks about this when he's uh, sharing with his, uh, his, his listeners um, what it looks like for us to engage with suffering. He says this in, in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard what it, that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And in, if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who begs from you and do not refuse the one who, uh, who would borrow from you. You've also heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on evil and go down on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus gives us this way of living, even in the midst of suffering and hardship, that is whole cloth different than the world we see around us. See, it gives us an opportunity to respond with graciousness and kindness, even in the moments when we are beaten down and hurting and in pain. 
And I don't think he's doing it to say just like, because there's just some toxic culture out there that goes like when you're suffering, it's just this like toxic positivity, just like get over it. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here of like, hey, someone took your tunic and you're like, give him your cloak as well. I don't think he's, he's espousing this toxic positivity. But what I do think he's asking us for is to frame our lives accurately around God's goodness. That, yes, things hurt right now. Yes, things are difficult right now. But there is something on the other side of this. Uh, I was, I'm going to quote Tim Keller a little bit later. I read his biography this week. He passed away in May, and his, his biography finally came available at the library because everybody wanted it. And one of the phrases they used all the time, uh, all the time through that, uh, Tim Keller says, is death is a shadow. It's not the end. Death is a shadow. So yeah, it stinks right now, but there's something far better. And that far better on the other side of this is communion and life forever and ever with God. And so I might mourn right now, and things might be difficult right now, but I'm not going to let that affect the way that we treat those around us. Pray for those who persecute you. Outdo one another in kindness. I want to be clear. I said it a little bit ago, but I'm not asking us to be, uh, to pretend that everything is just okay. But I think there is an element of if Jesus has affected our lives, there is an element of surrendering that portion of our lives to him and saying, uh, whatever I'm experiencing right now pales in comparison to your goodness. Are we ever going to be able to do this perfectly? No. We just won't. but we rely on Jesus working in our lives in these moments. That that it's not us responding, but we allow the Holy Spirit, Christ, in us to uh, be the the responder in these moments for us. So when we suffer, to suffer well, we're going to maintain our kindness. We're going to maintain our public witness. We're going to maintain an air of graciousness in how we treat others. Thing number two, to suffer well... There's an element that we just have to hold fast to, to what we know is true. To what we know is true. Uh, Paul says this in verse 6. He says, My brothers, uh, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial today because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul here is poking a little bit. There's a Pharisee-Sadducee uh, debate. The Pharisees were like real good Jewish scholars, Sadducees, much of the same, but Sadducees did not believe in uh, the resurrection of the dead. They did not think that that was possible. So he's poking a a little bit here, and what we see happen next is it stirs up this controversy. And if you're ever reading your Bible, I had a guy named Ryan Ward at First Church that taught me this, and it's been the most helpful thing, because you hear, like, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees. Uh, If you're ever trying to remember why the Sadducees, like, what's different about them, They don't believe in the resurrection, so they don't have any hope, and that is very sad, you see. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Uh, So he pokes at them, and he goes, I'm just here testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. 
I have hope uh, of the resurrection of the dead. And once again, Paul uses this moment of suffering, of hardship, getting slapped on the mouth as an opportunity uh, to proclaim God's goodness, to proclaim God's gospel, to proclaim God's mission, to, to proclaim God's truth. And it would be so easy for us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship to go, well, all of that belief, all of that stuff that I had before, it didn't work for me. Let's, the moment something gets hard, let's scrap it all. Paul here reminds us that in that opportunity, we have an opportunity to hold fast to what we know is true. Now, here's the thing. If you are not enduring suffering right now, if things are not hard for you right now, I just want to implore you that this is the season this is the time that I need us to lean in even more to encounters with God, to reading scripture, to prayer, to meditation, to being with God. Because if we don't do that now, we'll have nothing to not scrap when we endure suffering. So that's why in these moments, we build a robust theology. We spend time with God. We commune in his presence. We study scripture. During the quote-unquote good times, we encounter God so that when things are quote-unquote not so good, uh, we have something to lean back on. This is the Keller quote, and this is one I've seen repeated uh, many times in many ways and changed, so it's one that resounded in his life a lot. And he says, if Jesus Christ really died on the cross, taking our punishment, and he's now raised from the dead, now, when we believe in him, not only are our sins forgiven, but we have an incredible hope about the future. We're going to be raised, and everything in this world is going to be put right, and there's not going to be any suffering or death, and that is an astonishing hope, and that's a hope that we get to cling to when things get hard. We cling to what we know is true, that we might not be able to see a way out right now. We might not be able to see to the other side right now, but what we do know is there is something coming on the other side of this, and that's what we'll cling to. We'll cling to what we know is true. There's been several situations in my life where things have seemed unbearable. There's a picture, uh, Amanda, we were talking about uh, a couple weeks ago. She's like, I just, that was such a fun morning. It's a picture of Miles, and he's in this cute outfit in Hudson. We're at this coffee shop in downtown Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, she was like, I, I, that's, that was such a fun morning. And I was like, oh, I have a very different uh, memory of what that morning was. Uh, and we owned a business back in Columbia City. And uh, I remember that morning getting on my email. We were at this coffee shop. And it was a fun day. We had fun with our kids. But uh, I checked my email. And there was some news about the shop that was like, I, I can't breathe news. It's like, I can't, I can't catch my breath. And so I remember going to the bathroom and, and like, and, and having an honest to goodness panic attack over what was happening in our business. And it was, it, it was something that I leaned back on to go that this is something that will at one point be over. This feels like suffering. This feels like death. But at some point, this thing, this situation is not going to be true. Will it take us years to resolve this situation? Maybe. Will we resolve this situation on this side of eternity? Maybe not. 
But there is going to be a point in time in our lives, whether it's on this side of eternity or the next, where everything sad will become untrue. Where we get to see, uh, where we get to taste and see God's goodness in its fullness. And in the moments of suffering, in the moments of hardship, this is what we cling to. That we're reminded that everything else in our lives, every other well is going to run dry, but God is the only hope that we have. Paul leaned on what he knew to be true to help him endure the suffering. That's what we can do. We can lean on what we know to be true. Then lastly, and maybe this might be the most helpful because, uh, because of who is involved in the process. Verse 11, so he goes through this hardship, he goes through uh, the difficulty, he goes through the trial, he's suffering, he's still bound in chains. And, and verse 11 says this, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul. And he said, take courage, just as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And here's what's so comforting to me about that passage. The Lord stood near Paul. Psalm 34 says this, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And this, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. That the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. When we are broken, when we are suffering, when we are going through it, God is close. He's not repulsed by our brokenness. He's not repulsed and turned off by our unputted togetherness. He, in that very moment when we could not muster up an ounce of being put together or having stuff in order in our lives, at that very moment, that's when he was drawn closest to us. That God is close to those who are suffering and brokenhearted. So if you feel crushed in spirit, take heart because God is close. If you feel broken this morning, take heart because God promises that he is close He is the greatest good. There is nothing above him. And this is why Paul can say things like, uh, I rejoice in my suffering, or we rejoice in our suffering. Psalm 16 says, in God's presence there is fullness of joy. And so if God, just work this out logically with me, if in God's presence there is a fullness of joy, and God's presence is close and near when we feel broken. That's how we can experience joy and brokenness, is when we fix our eyes on God and not the suffering. We recognize that, that things are hard. We recognize that, that things are heavy. We recognize that things hurt. But we recognize that God is present in the midst of all. And that's why I wanted us to remember the Lord's table this morning. Because th this is how it's possible. 
what we remember, what we believe, uh, what we experience through the act of communion is that God drew himself near. He drew himself near to humanity's sin. He drew himself near to humanity's shame. He drew himself near to humanity's suffering. And he gave himself as an offering for us. That we have a God, in the words of Keller, we have a God who is so committed to ending suffering and death that he was willing to come into the world and be involved in that suffering and death himself. Uh, Pete led some of the guys this morning in a Bible study, and uh, I would love to invite you guys to the next one. Uh, happened in August. It's a great opportunity to gather with uh, some men and, and open God's word together, pray together. Um, it's been really encouraging. One of the things we talked about was uh, the need to like open up scripture and encounter God through that. And uh, several of us had this idea that like we're not always going to come away from scripture with... Um, with this like big nugget of truth, of wisdom, of, uh, oh, it's transformed. Sometimes it'll happen, but it's not always going to happen. Uh, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to commune with and encounter uh, a holy and living God. And I think that's the beauty of communion. That's the beauty of communion, that things are going to be hard, things are going to be difficult, but we have the central point that we can gather as God's people around the Lord's table and we can go, you know what, this week was really hard, but I'm remembering the sacrifice and the love of Jesus displayed in that sacrifice. Uh, I read this week, uh, the meal that nourishes every saint throughout the earthly pilgrimage all lifelong culminates in the marriage supper and the lamb of his kingdom, that we have a hope on the other side of eternity. We have a hope on the other side of the suffering that we're putting our stock in. We're putting our hope in that. But until we get there, we're, things are going to stink sometimes. It's going to be hard. And so we need the constant nourishment from God's presence with us. And we get to experience that through communion. We get to experience God's presence with us as we partake of the elements together, remembering his sacrifice, remembering his love, remembering his faithfulness, remembering his fidelity. And I think those are some of the steps that we can take in suffering well. That we can remember that our kindness speaks volumes. That we can remember that we can hold on to what is true. And we can remember that God is with us. Just like it says that the Lord stood near Paul. That God is near us. So, uh, some logistics. Uh, I'm going to ask the team to come back up. We're going to sing a couple more songs uh, during this first song that we're singing together, I'm going to ask you guys to come and grab the elements. Um, just if you need a moment to take with the Lord, take all the moments that you need. Uh, we'll hear the song together. Uh, sing if you want, stand if you, if you want, sit if you want, bow if you want, do whatever you need to do uh, to partake. And then at the end of this first song, we'll take the elements together and then we'll close out with one more song
um, where we can rejoice in who God is. Uh, we practice here at Connection what's called an open table. All that means is you don't need to be a member here at Connection. You don't need to, all, all that I'm asking is like, you're raising your hand and going, I'm on Team Jesus. I've committed my life to him in following him and trusting in him. And, and we invite you to come take the elements together. So I'm going to pray over them. Um, come receive the elements when you're ready. We'll partake of them together uh, when this song is over. And then we'll close out our service together. So, Father, we are grateful for your faithfulness. And we recognize that life is difficult sometimes. We recognize that it's hard. We recognize that there's suffering that's just baked into life. Um, But we want to recognize and see your presence in the midst of all of that. And so, Lord, will uh, will you make us aware of that now as we endure and we strive forward, keeping our eyes fixed on you? Lord, speak to our hearts and minds now as we meditate on your sacrifice and remember your love together. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.